Jiminy's expression was frozen, but Vimes, who knew this game, saw that tiny twitch which, when decoded, meant, "'Yes, but I didn't say anything, and no one can prove I did, not even you, my friend.' Further discussion on the point was interrupted when the sons of the soil began to come in, one by one, to celebrate the ending of the working day. This time there was less suspicion in their eyes as they nodded to Vimes en route to the bar, and so he sat, nursing his pint of spiced-up beetroot juice, and just enjoyed the moment. It was a very short moment, at the end of which the blacksmith swaggered into the bar and walked straight up to him. "'You're sitting in my seat!' Vimes looked around. He was sitting on a bench that was indistinguishable from all the others in the room, but he accepted the possibility that there was something mystic about the one he was occupying, picked up his glass, and strolled over to an unoccupied one, where he sat down just in time to hear the blacksmith say, "'That one's my seat too, understand?' Oh, dear. Here was the overture and beginners to a brawl, and Vimes was no beginner right enough, and the blacksmith's eyes held the look of a man who wanted to punch somebody, and very likely thought that Vimes would make the ideal candidate. He felt the gentle pressure of his own brass knuckles in his trouser pocket. Vimes had been economical with the truth when he promised his wife that he would not take any weapons on holiday with him. However, he'd reasoned that a knuckle-duster was not so much a weapon as a way of making certain that he stayed alive. It could be called a defensive instrument, a, a kind of shield, as it were, especially if you needed to get your defence in before you were attacked. He stood up. Mr. Jethro, I'd be grateful if you'd be so kind as to choose which chair is yours for the evening, thank you very much, after which I intend to enjoy my drink in peace. Whoever said that a soft answer turneth away wrath had never worked in a bar. The blacksmith glowered at about the same temperature as his forge, I ain't Jethro to you, not by a long way. You can call me Mr. Jefferson, do you hear? And you can call me Sam Vimes. He watched Jefferson very deliberately place his drink on the bar before he strode towards Vimes. I know what I can call you, mister. Vimes felt the smooth brass of the surrogate knuckles, polished as they had been by years of abrasion from his pants, and, needless to say, the occasional chin. As he dug down, they almost leapt to his grasp. "'Sorry about this, Your Grace,' said Jiminy, as he pushed him gently out of the way, and said to the smith, "'Well, now, Jethro, what's this all about, then?' "'Your Grace!' sneered Jethro. "'I ain't going to call you that. I ain't going to lick your boots like all the others do. Coming back here, lording it over us, ordering us about as if you owned a place. And that's it, isn't it? You do own a place. One man with all this country, that's not right. You tell me how did that happen. Go on, you tell me.' Vimes shrugged. Well, I'm not an expert, but as I understand it, my wife's ancestors fought somebody for it. The blacksmith's face bloomed with an evil pleasure as he threw off his leather apron. Well, okay, no problem. That's how it's done, is it? Fair enough. Tell you what I'll do. I'll fight you for it, here and now. And tell you what I'll do. I'll fight you with one hand strapped behind my back on account of you being a bit shorter than me. Vimes heard a slight wooden sound behind him. It was the sound of a barman stealthily pulling a two-foot-long rosewood truncheon from its accustomed place under the bar. Jethro must have heard it too, because he called out, "'And don't you try anything with that, Jim. You know I'll have it out of your hands before you know what's happening, and this time I'll shove it where the sun don't shine.' Vimes took a look at the rest of the clientele, who were doing remarkable impersonations of stone statues. "'Look,' he said, "'you really don't want to fight me.' "'I do. Indeed I do. You said it yourself.' Some ancestor got all of this by fighting for it, yeah? Who said it's the time to stop fighting? 
Burlier and stronger the arms, sir, said a polite yet chilly voice behind the big man. To Vimes's shock, it was Willikins. I'm not cruel, sir. I won't shoot you in the guts, but I will make you realise how much you took your toes for granted. No, please do not make any sudden movements. Burly and strong in the arm crossbows have notoriously responsive triggers. Vimes resumed breathing again when Jethro raised his hands. Somewhere in all that rage there must have been a half pennyworth of self-preservation. Nevertheless, the blacksmith glared at him and said, You need to be protected by a horrid killer, do you? In point of fact, sir, said Willikin smoothly, I am employed by Commander Vimes as gentleman's gentleman, and I require this crossbow because sometimes his socks fight back. He looked at Vimes. Do you have any instructions, Commander? And then he shouted, Don't move, mister, because as far as I know a blacksmith needs two hands to work with. He turned back to Vimes. Do excuse that interjection, Commander, but I know his sort. Willikins, I rather think you are his sort. Yes, sir, thank you, sir, and I wouldn't trust me one little inch, sir. I knows a bad one when I sees them. I have a mirror. Now, I want you to put that bloody thing down, Willikins. People could get hurt, Vimes said in his formal voice. Yes, sir, that would have been my intention. I could not face her ladyship if anything happened to you. Vimes looked from Willikins to Jethro. Here was a boil that needed lancing, but you couldn't blame the lad. It wasn't as if he hadn't thought the same way himself many times. Willikins, he said, please put that wretched thing down carefully and get out your notebook. Thank you. Now, please write down as follows. I, Samuel Vimes, somewhat reluctantly the Duke of Ankh, do intend to duke it out, ha-ha, with my friend Jethro. What's your full name again, Jethro? Now, look here, mister, I didn't. I asked you your damned name, mister. Jiminy, what's his surname? Jefferson, said the landlord, holding his truncheon like a security blanket. But look, your grace, you don't want to go. Vimes ignored him and went on. Now, where was I? Oh, yes. My friend Jethro Jefferson, in a friendly fight for the ownership of the manor and environs, whatever the hell they are, which will go to the which of us that does not first cry uncle, and should it be myself that utters the same, there will be no repercussions of any sort upon my friend Jethro, or on my man Willikins, who pleaded with me not to engage in this friendly bout of fisticuffs. Got that, Willikins? I'll even give you a get-out-of-jail-free card to show your ladyship if I get bruised. Now give it to me to sign. Willikins handed over the notebook with reluctance. I don't think it'll work on her ladyship, sir. Look, dukes aren't expected to go around. His voice faltered in the face of Vimes's smile. You were going to say that dukes shouldn't fight, weren't you, Willikins? And if you had, I would have said that the word duke absolutely means that you do fight. Oh, very well, sir, said Willikins. But perhaps you ought to warn him... Willikins was interrupted by the pub's customers, pushing their way out at speed and running through the village, leaving Jethro standing alone and bewildered. Halfway towards the man, Vimes turned to look back at Willikins and said, "'You may think you see me lighting a cigar, Willikins, but on this occasion I think your eyes may turn out to be at fault. Do you understand?' "'Yes, and in fact I am deaf as well, Commander.' "'Good lad. Now let's get outside where there's less glass and a better view.' Jethro looked like a man who had had the ground cut from under his feet but didn't know how to fall down. Vimes lit his cigar and savoured, just for a moment, the forbidden fruit. Then he offered the packet to the blacksmith, who waved it away without a word. "'Very sensible,' said Vimes. "'Now then, 
I'd better tell you that at least once a week, even these days, I have to fight people who are trying to kill me with everything from swords to chairs and, in one case, a very large salmon. They probably don't actually want to kill me, but they'll try to stop me arresting them. Look, he waved a hand at the landscape in general, all this stuff just happened, whether I wanted it to or not. By trade, I'm just a copper. Yeah, said Jethro, glaring at him. Stamp me on the faces of the struggling masses. Vimes was used to this sort of thing and put it mildly. Can't tread on their faces these days. My grinder gets in the way. All right, not very funny, I admit. Vimes was aware that people were coming back down the lane. They included women and children. It looked as though the pub's clientele had roused the neighbourhood. He turned to Jethro. Are we going to do this by the Marquis of Fantaylor's rules? What are they? said the blacksmith, waving at the oncoming horde. Rules of sparring by the Marquis of Fantaylor, said Vimes. If they was written by a Marquis, I don't want no truck with them. Vimes nodded. Willikins? I heard that, Commander, and have recorded it in my notebook. Refused Fantaylor. Well then, Mr. Jefferson, said Vimes, I suggest we ask Mr. Jiminy to start the proceedings. I want your lackey to write down in that book of his that my mum won't get put out of her cottage whatever happens, right? It's a deal, said Vimes. Willikins, please make a memorandum that Mr. Jefferson's old mum should not be thrown out of her cottage, hit with sticks, put in the stocks, or otherwise manhandled in any way, understand? Willikins, trying ineffectually to hide a smile, licked his pencil and wrote industriously. Vimes, less noisily, made a mental note, and the note said, The ferocity is draining out of this lad. He is wondering if he actually might get killed. I haven't thrown a punch, not one little punch, and he is already preparing for the worst. Of course, the right way to go about it is to prepare for the best. The crowd was growing by the second. Even as Vimes looked on, people came down the lane carrying a very old man on a mattress, their progress accelerated by his delight in hitting them on the back of the legs with his walking stick. Mothers towards the back of the crowd were holding up their children for a better look, and all unknown, every man had a weapon. It was like a peasant's revolt, without the revolt, and with a very polite class of peasant. Men touched their forelocks when Vimes looked in their direction. Women curtsied, or at least bobbed up and down a bit, disturbingly out of sequence, like organ pedals trembling. Jiminy approached Vimes, and the blacksmith cautiously, and to judge by the glistening of his face very apprehensively. Now then, gents, I am choosing to consider this a little demonstration of fisticuffs, a jolly trial of strength and prowess, such as may be found on any summer evening, all friends under the skin, okay? There was a pleading look in his eyes as he went on. And when you've got it out of your systems, there'll be a pint waiting for each of you on the bar. Please don't break anything. He produced an overused handkerchief from a waistcoat pocket and held it in the air. When this touches the ground, gentlemen, he said, backing away very quickly. The slip of linen seemed to defy gravity for a while, but the moment it touched the ground, Vimes caught the blacksmith's boot in both hands as it swung towards him, and said very quietly to the struggling man, A bit previous, weren't you? And what good has it done you? Hear them all sniggering? I'll let you off this time. Vimes gave a push as he loosened his grip on the foot, causing Jethro to stagger backwards. Vimes felt a certain pleasure in seeing the man losing it this early, but the blacksmith pulled himself together and rushed at him, and paused, possibly because Vines was grinning. "'That's the ticket, my lad,' said Vimes. "'You just saved yourself a dreadful pain in the unmentionables.' He made fists and beckoned suggestively to his bewildered adversary over the top of his left fist. The man came swinging and got a kick on the kneecap, which floored him, and he was picked up by Vimes, which metaphorically floored him again. "'Why ever did you think I was going to box?' 
That's what we professionals call misdirection. You want to go for the hug? I would if I were a big bloke like you, but you ain't going to get the chance. Vimes shook his head sorrowfully. Should have gone for the Marquis of Fantaylor. I believe that has been carved on many a gravestone. He took a generous pull of his cigar. The ash had yet to be disturbed. Enraged beyond belief, Jethro threw himself at Vimes and caught a glancing blow to his head, receiving at almost the same time a knee in the stomach which knocked all the breath out of him. They went down together with Vimes as the conductor of this orchestra. He made certain he ended on top, where he leaned down and hissed into Jethro's ear. Let's see how smart you are, shall we? Are you a man who can control his temper? Because if you aren't, then I'll give you a nose so wide that you'll have to hold your handkerchief on the end of a stick. Don't you, for one moment, think I'm not capable of it. But I reckon a blacksmith knows when to cool the metal, and I'm giving you a chance to say that at least you got the Duke on the floor in front of all your friends, and we'll stand up and shake hands like the gentleman neither of us is, and the crowd will cheer and go into the pub and get happily ratted on the beer that I shall pay for. Are we men of one accord? There was a muffled, Yes, and Vimes stood up, took the blacksmith's hand in his, and raised it up high, which caused some slight puzzlement. But when he then said, Sam Vimes invites you all to take a drink with him in Mr. Jiminy's establishment, everybody shrugged bewilderment aside to make room for the beer. The crowd surged into the pub, leaving the blacksmith and Vimes on their own, plus Willikins, who could be remarkably self-effacing when he wanted. Blacksmiths should know about temper, too, said Vimes, as the crowd dispersed pubwards. Sometimes cool is better than hot. I don't know anything much about you, Mr. Jefferson, but the City Watch needs people who learn fast, and I reckon you would soon make it the sergeant. We could use you as a smith, too. It's amazing how dented the old armour can get when you're standing on the faces of the poor. Jethro stared down at his boots. All right, you can beat me in a fight. That doesn't mean it's right, all right? You don't know the half of it. There were sounds of merriment coming from the pub. Vimes wondered how embroidered that little scuffle would turn out to be. He turned back to the smith, who hadn't moved. Listen to me, you stupid young fool. I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. When I was a kid, the only spoons I ever saw were made of wood, and you were lucky if there was some edible food on the end of them. I was a street kid, understand? If I'd been dumped out here, I would have thought it was paradise, what with food jumping out on you from every edge. But I became a copper because they paid you, and I was taught how to be a copper by decent coppers, because believe me, mister, I wake every night knowing I could have been something else. And then I found a good lady, and if I were you, kid, I'd hope that I'd find one of them too. So I smartened myself up, and then one day Lord Vetinari, you have heard of him, haven't you, kid? Well, he needed a man to get things done, and the title opens doors, so that I don't actually have to kick them open myself. And do you know what? I reckon my boots have seen so much crime down the years that they walk me towards it of their own accord, and I know there's something that needs kicking. So do you. I can smell it on you. Tell me what it is. Jethro still stared at his own boots and said nothing. Willikins cleared his throat. I wonder, Commander, if it might help if I had a little talk with the young man from what you might call a less elevated position. Why don't you take a look at the beauties of the local countryside? Vimes nodded. By all means, if you think it'll do some good. And he went away and examined a honeysuckle hedge with considerable interest, while Willikins, with his shiny gentleman's gentleman shoes and his immaculate jacket, strolled over to Jethro, put an arm round him and said, This is a stiletto I'm holding to your throat, and it ain't no lady's shoe. This is a real thing, the cutting edge, as it were. You are a little twit. 
and I ain't the commander, and I will slice you to the bone if you make a move. Got that? Now don't nod your head. Good. We are learning, aren't we? Now, my lad, the commander here is trusted by the Diamond King of Trolls and the Low King of the Dwarfs, who would only have to utter a word for your measly carcass to come under the caress of a large number of versatile axes, and by Lady Margolotta of Uberwald, who trusts very few people, and by Lord Vetinari of Ankh-Morpork, who doesn't trust anybody at all. Got that? Don't nod. And you, my little man, have the damn nerve to doubt his word. I'm an easy-going sort of fellow, but that sort of thing leaves me right out of sorts. I don't mind telling you. You understand? I said, do you understand? All right, you can nod now. Incidentally, young man, be careful who you call a lackey, all right? Some people might take violent exception to that sort of thing. A word to the wise lad. I know the commander, and you thought about your old mum and what might happen to her, and I reckon that is why I won't be seeing you in Lavender, because he is a sensitive soul at heart. Willikin's knife disappeared as quickly as it had come, and with the other hand the gentleman's gentleman produced a small brush and tidied the blacksmith's collar. Willikins, said Vimes from the distance, will you go for a little walk now, please? When his manservant was loitering under a tree a little way further up the lane, Vimes said, Sorry about that, but every man has his pride. I bear that in mind, so should you. I'm a copper, a policeman, and something here is calling to me. It seems to me that you have something you'd like me to know, and it's not just about who sits in the eye castle. Am I right? Something bad has happened. You are practically sweating it. Well? Jethro leaned towards him and said, Dead man's cops, on the ill, midnight, I won't wait. The blacksmith then turned around and walked away without a glance behind. Vimes lit a fresh cigar and strolled towards the tree where Willikins was appearing to enjoy the landscape. He straightened up when he saw Vimes. Oh, we'd better get a move on, sir. Dinner is at eight o'clock, and her ladyship would like you to be smart. She sets a lot of store by your being smartly turned out, sir. Vimes groaned. Not the official tights. Happily not, sir, not in the country. But her ladyship was very specific about my bringing the plum-coloured evening dress, sir. She says it makes me look dashing, said Vimes morosely. Do you think it makes me look dashing? Am I a dashing kind of person, were you saying? The birds started singing from a low branch of the tree. I'd put you down as a more the sprinting sort, sir, said Willikins. They set off home, in silence for a while, which is to say that neither man spoke while wildlife sang, buzzed and screeched, eventually causing Vimes to say, I wish I knew what the hell all those things are. Willikins put his head on one side for a moment and then said, Parkinson's warbler, the deep-throated frog-eater and common creed-waggler, sir. You know— Oh, yes, sir. I frequent the musicals, sir, and there's always a bird or animal impersonator on the bill. It tends to stick. I also know seventy-three farmyard noises, my favourite of which is the sound of a farmer who has had one boot sucked from his foot by the muck he's trying to avoid, and has nowhere else to put his stockinged foot but in the said muck. Hugely amusing, sir. They had reached a long drive to the hall now, and gravel crunched beneath their boots. Under his breath, Vimes said— I've arranged to meet young Mr. Jefferson at midnight in the copse on Hangman's Hill. He wishes to tell me something important. Remind me, Willikins, what is a copse exactly? Anything between a clump of trees and a small wood. Technically, sir, the one at the top of Hangman's Hill is a beach hanger. That just means, well, a small beech wood on top of a hill. You remember Mad Jack Ramkin, the bloke that got it made thirty feet higher at great expense? He had the beech trees planted on the top. Vimes liked the crunching of the gravel. It would mask the sound of their conversation. 
I talked to the blacksmith with, I would swear, no one else in earshot, but this is the country, yes, Willikins? There was a man setting rabbit snares in the hedge behind you, said Willikins, perfectly normal activity, although to my mind he took too long over it. They crunched onwards for a while, and Vime said, Tell me, Willikins, if a man had arranged to meet another man at midnight in a place with a name like Dead Man's Cops on Hangman's Hill, what would you consider to be his most sensible course of action, given that his wife had forbidden him to bring weapons to his country house? Willikins nodded. Why, sir, given your maxim that everything is a weapon if you choose to think of it as such, I would advise said man to see whether he has a compatriot, what has, for example, acquired the keys to a cabinet that contains a number of superbly made carving knives ideal for close fighting. And I personally would include a side order of cheese wire, sir, in conformance with my belief that the only important thing in a fight to the death is that the death should not be yours. Can't carry cheese wire, man? Not the commander of the watch? Quite so, commander. And may I therefore advise your brass knuckles, the gentleman's alternative? I know you never travel without them, sir. There's some vicious people around, and I know you have to be among them. Look, Willikins, I don't like to involve you in all this. It's only a hunch, after all. Willikins waved this away. You wouldn't keep me out of it for a big clock, sir, because all this is tickling my fancy as well. I shall lay out a selection of cutting edges for you in your dressing-room, sir, and I myself will go up to the cops half an hour before you're due to be there with my trusty bow and an assortment of favourite playthings. It's nearly a full moon, clear skies, there'll be shadows everywhere, and I'll be standing in the darkest one of them. Vimes looked at him for a moment and said, Could I please amend that suggestion? Could you not be there in the second darkest shadow one hour before midnight to see who steps into the darkest shadow? Ah, yes, that's why you command the watch, sir, said Willikins, and to Vimes's shock there was a hint of a tear in the man's voice. You're listening to the street, aren't you, sir, yes? Vimes shrugged. No streets here, Willikins. Willikins shook his head. Once a street boy, always a street boy, sir. It comes with us in the pinch. Mothers go, fathers go, if we ever knew who they were. But the street, well, the street looks after us. In the pinch, it keeps us alive. Willikins darted ahead of Vimes and rang the doorbell, so that the footman had the door open by the time Vimes came up to the steps. "'You've got just enough time to listen to young Sam read to you, sir,' Willikins added, making his way up the stairs. "'Wonderful thing, reading. I wish I'd learned it when I was a kid. Her ladyship will be in her dressing-room, and guests will be arriving in about half an hour. Must go, sir. I've got to teach that fat toad of a butler his manners, sir.' Vimes winced. "'You're not allowed to strangle butlers, Willikins. I'm sure I read it in the Book of Etiquette.' Willikins gave him a look of mock offence. "'No garrotting will be involved, sir,' he said opening the door to Vimes's dressing-room, but he is a snob of the first water. Never did meet a butler who wasn't. I just have to give him an orientation lesson. Well, he is the butler, and this is his house, said Vimes. No, sir, it's your house. And since I am your personal manservant, I, by the irrevocable laws of the servants' hall, outrank every one of the lazy buggers. I'll show them how we do things in the real world, sir, don't you worry. He was interrupted by a heavy knock at the door, followed by a determined rattling of the doorknob. Willikins opened the door, and young Sam stomped in and announced, Reading! Vimes picked up his son and sat him on a chair. How was your afternoon, my lad? Do you know, said young Sam, as if imparting the results of strict research, cows do really big floppy poos, but sheep do small poos, like chocolates. Vimes 
tried not to look at Willikins, who was shaking with suppressed laughter. He managed to keep his own expression solemn and said, "'Well, of course, sheep are smaller.' Young Sam considered this. "'Cow-poos go flop,' he said. "'It never said that in Where's My Cow?' Young Sam's voice betrayed a certain annoyance that this important information had been withheld. "'Miss Felicity Beadle wouldn't have left it out?' Vimes sighed. "'I just bet she wouldn't.' Willikins opened the door. "'I'll leave you gentlemen to it, then, and see you later, sir.' "'Willikins,' said Vimes, just as the man had his hand on the doorknob, "'you appear to think that my brass knuckles are inferior to yours, is that so?' Willikins smiled. "'You've never really agreed with the idea of the spiked ones, have you, sir?' He carefully shut the door behind him.